Welcome to a brand new episode of Jonesing for Jessica, the show that talks about Marvel and Netflix's Jessica Jones, the hot new latest live action show uh, between the two. Uh, I'm Brett, uh, and joining me is my co-host, Alana. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Today we're going to be talking about episode nine of Jessica Jones, a.k.a. Sinbin is the name of the episode. For those of you who are new to our podcast, you should know that on each of our episodes, we focus on one episode of the show. Um, We do not include spoilers for future episodes. So uh, if you've seen episode nine of the show but have not watched any further, you are in good company. I have not watched any further than episode nine. Uh, But this podcast will contain spoilers for all of episode nine. And we will also, you know, probably reflect back on things from earlier episodes as well. But that's all you've got to know. uh, we're talking about this, as, you know, Brett and I are speaking about this from the perspective of folks who have read the comics and are, you know, watching the show, but we haven't reread the comics recently or anything like that. And today we're being joined by one guest and then we'll have a second guest joining us in a little while. Yes. So uh, first up, we've got Arturo R. Garcia. Uh, is a managing editor of Racialicious and an editor for The Raw Story. But before all that, he was a comic geek and Rocky Horror Picture Show alumnus. Uh, we're not going to be doing the time warp with him, but he was born in Tijuana based, <laughs> and based out of San Diego. He's covered everything from Comic-Con to DNCA to Black Lives Matter protests. Arturo, how are you doing? I am fine. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you I'm coming really on. I'm excited we were able to get you. We've wanted to have you on the show to talk about things for a while, but you work like literally during the time that we tape all the time, basically. So um, we were able to do this on a weekend and make it happen. Yeah. Oh, yes, and the time zone as well. Yeah. So thank you for joining us. Um, so what I normally do is sort of talk a little bit maybe if we have any overall feelings about the episode, and then I kind of walk us through the different key moments of the episode and sort of we all talk about those. Um, I have to say, starting from this, when I realized that I'd have to watch this episode again, I watch every episode twice, once all the way through. And the second time I watch it and take notes, basically. And I was really dreading having to rewatch this episode because it was really hard for me to watch. Um, This is more so than any of the other episodes have been hard for me to watch to date, actually. Um, and it's because this is the this is like what we've labeled it in our show briefs is like this is the torture episode basically where it deals with torture and you know does it work is like under what circumstances is it okay is it never okay and like all of these are really important questions um, and we had a very similar conversation to this actually when Daredevil was on um, one of the episodes that we did about Daredevil was with Spencer Ackerman, who's a reporter who's covered issues of torture in the press a lot. Um, And we talked about the use of torture on that show. And that's definitely something which has been a theme in this series as well, but not anywhere near as much as it it is in this episode, because this episode is Kilgrave, the nemesis, in a box, and people essentially trying to to torture a confession out of him. But it's not as much to torture a confession. It's more to torture something that demonstrates that he has these powers out of him. So how, what did you guys think about the episode overall? Uh, Arturo, you want to start? Yeah, Arturo, why don't you start? Well, you know, as, as always, David Tennant McFlaws was playing a madman in a box. Yeah. <laughs> God, that's horrible. 
<laughs> but it's not it's not bigger than it looks on the outside. It's pretty true to size. Oh, <laughs> uh, so gonna be an episode we don't make a Doctor Who reference. Um, I I think the episode generally for me there's there's a couple this is one that I think the series starts going off the rails for me um generally at up to this point I think it's the the worst episode I'm just not a fan of it and the whole direction the series goes is very bizarre for me of the uh we are going to um uh, capture him and then like torture him uh to try to get prove that he has, you know has powers uh it just doesn't seem very heroic um and it's a bit, it's just overall odd. This is the point where it's like, I don't necessarily agree with Jessica and don't think she's the hero of the story. Um, yeah, uh, plus there's the whole uh, douche cop storyline that I think is the worst, or actually the second worst storyline of the entire series. Yeah. Uh, Arturo, did you like the episode or... I'm looking, we might have lost him. So oh no, we might have lost him. Okay, shoot. Um, I was going to say, I totally get what you're saying, Brett. Like, I, it was hard for me to watch because of the subject matter, but it also, like, yeah, Jessica is not behaving heroically here. But I'm also like, that isn't necessarily a problem to me. In and of itself, I would be okay with, like, you know, if. Like, shit has been really hard, and I understand how someone who is well-intentioned can do wrong and and, and behave in an amoral way and under these circumstances. Like, I, I'm i not surprised, you know, uh, that that she cracked and is... Because, yeah, what she does is not, a, is not fucking okay, and it doesn't work. I mean, one of the points I mean, we always bring up when we talk about torture is that not only is it immoral, but it doesn't actually work because the people who you're torturing will do anything and say anything to make it stop. And in this case, that isn't even why it doesn't work. But again, it, it doesn't work. And I don't know if that's the problem that I have with it, though. I don't. I mean, it, it, it is the problem I have with torture, work. but I don't know if that's the problem yeah. that I have with the show. Is what I'm trying to say. Uh, yeah, I mean, so, so well, so the thing that's interesting is up to this point, Kilgrave's been very, very protective about not showing off his power on camera. You know, we've mm-hmm. seen him go out of his way to, uh, you know, either have people delete the uh message or um or um you know uh, just getting people to forget what was going on yeah. and you know he's way too smart to sit there in front of the camera and, and show things off and being like no I'm totally going to uh get caught on camera and and show off my power like we we know he's too smart for this so what Jessica wants to accomplish, like, really, really, it confounds me. It's very bizarre and very weird. Well, I think she's trying to, like, psychologically torture him, like, with the footage of himself as a child, enough that he's in an emotional state in which he's not in control of himself, and therefore he uses his powers, like, while he's out of control, essentially. Like, that's that's what she's hoping to achieve, but you just yeah. doesn't really seem like that's something that could work. Well, here's the other question: Is who's he going to use his powers to? Right. Right. So he's in the box. Got, he's in, so he's in the box. A lot of the time, it's it's Jessica in in Hogarth, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like to get him to use his power, that means he'd have to use it on Jessica or Hogarth. 
And yeah. we know Jessica's like slightly immune to this at this point. Well, so... we only know that at the end of the episode. I mean, well, Hello? at least. Yeah, hey, Tar- you're back. Yes. Yep. All right. Great. Uh, I mean, like, we, I mean, yeah. you know, the, the, at the end of the episode, like, it plays the signs that show you that, yes, this is something we could have known and could have deduced the whole time. But it's not something which they're trying to make us see until the end of the episode. Like, so, Arturo, we were just sort of discussing what was Jessica hoping was going to happen that, like, seemed like it even had the slimmest chance of working. You know, we're, we're very, obviously, like, we both think that what she did is immoral, although I also find it completely understandable, but we also just don't think that, like, it couldn't have worked, basically. Well, it, what comes out, I believe, in the sequence with her parents is, uh, I believe she's hoping for him to order his mother to hurt herself. And the plan yeah. was to stop him at that point. You know, my, my bigger concern with the episode was, and this is a, a TV tropes issue, I think, more than anything else, the data's come out, this stuff doesn't work at all. Or it doesn't get you the intel, the, the valuable piece of intelligence you need. Yeah. On, on, yeah you know, people... on, beyond the moral quandary. And I I believe that Jessica knows it's wrong on some level, but I do. I also believe she doesn't believe she ha- has another recourse. Another choice, yeah. Well, no, I mean, that the plan is, eventually the plan is that she tries to get his parents to elicit a, you know, elicit a response out of him, uh, you know, to get him to lose control enough that he demonstrates his powers publicly. But she doesn't even have this, she doesn't even have the idea to try to get his parents in the very beginning. Like she's just trying to show him traumatic footage of his childhood. And there's like no one for him to even demonstrate the powers on. I think that was a sequence where where she came in. I think that's what she was trying to accomplish. The parents became the last resort. So I, I think she wanted to catch him I mean, she, yeah, she's she's trying to beat it out of him. I mean, I, like the the show shows you how she thinks it's supposed to work. It's just that it doesn't seem like it could work. Like, the, you know, she says herself when she leaves the cell after she beats him up that you know he had the control the whole time, um, and you know that she she when she was in there you know trying to be basically torturing him to try to force him to control her to make her stop, like he was going to not, he was just going to let himself take it. He was not going to risk himself in that way. He'd rather get beat up than show his powers on camera. Well, also, I think the really fascinating thing to that, too, is it shows how in control of his power he really is. Um, Where I think it was the last episode that he talked about, like, I don't know, you know, are people doing things because of what I say? When it's very clear that, no, he really is in control, and you know, you know, does have a good mastery over what he does and does not do. Hmm. That's an interesting point. Um, so I kind of want to go through the episodes from the start to end, sort of to make sure we're hitting on these different plot points with our different takes on it. So I, I, I thought it was important that when Kilgrave, he wakes up, he's in the cell, and Jessica has, you know, essentially defanged the power of his name because she, she insists on calling him Kevin from here on out. And when he wakes up, she says, smile, Kevin. And he's on camera. She knows that he hates being on camera. Um, you know, he's done everything he can to avoid that. Uh, and she just basically is projecting this footage of him being tortured onto him. Um, and the footage of other children being tortured, which is, it makes it incredibly hard for us to watch 
Uh, I don't know if Kilgrave cares about other children, but it makes it very hard for us to watch it. Like it kind of feels like we're being subjected to the same exposure um, to traumatic imagery torture that she is forcing on Kilgrave at that point. Yeah, I, I would kind of see that. I mean, it's, I think to him, going into the, the children question, I think he's shown that he does not care for children the, of what he's done in the past. Yeah, so, I mean, he tortured them. Yeah, so that so who is, isn't... That, that's for us. That's for the viewers. Like, the, yeah. Oh, yeah. And also, she uses it as a, it's a point of information to say, like, hey, it turns out other kids were experimented on as well. It's still very confusing to try to figure out, like, even we know what the experiment was later to know like what role other people may have had or not had in this. But um, it also makes me wonder if his not liking being on camera comes from the experimentation. Like oh, I, think we're supposed to, I think we're supposed to take that from it. Like it's also, I mean, it's practical because that's how he can stay away from cops attention, but it's also like, yeah, he was basically, you know, forced to be on camera and monitor it at all times. And so, I mean, she's trying to trigger stuff from his childhood that's traumatic, basically. Like, that's her first line of torture against him, is to try to trigger stuff from his childhood. And then her second line is beating him up. And then her third final line is his parents, basically. Um, One of the things that that was really interesting is when Kilgrave narrates their meet cute, when she first tells him, like, you know, to start at the beginning telling his story, he, like, narrates his version of, like, in his mind of like the first time that she met him, she's like, you know, I saved this dark haired woman who was being beat up and we did this. And it really, I was just so like, if he doesn't want her to, to smack him across the head, then he really shouldn't say that. <laughs> he is asking for it. Like he is the, the continuing to tell the story. Like, you know, one of the things we've talked about on the show before is that he thinks he's in a romantic comedy. You know, he thinks he's like the lovable troubled guy who's going to win the girl at the end. And him narrating the story of how he met her in this case to her again is just like him reinforcing, like, yeah, he doesn't know what movie he doesn't know what movie he's in. He was also kind of playing uh to the recording at that point, wasn't he? Yeah, the camera was on. Yeah, he's, so I mean, he had another audience. Potentially. Mhm. So I think that, that, per- that performance I, I think the performance was as much for whoever was going to watch that tape as it was for, uh, for himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He says, and I mean, she's wincing the whole time. And then when she finally gives in and shocks him is when he says that they made sweet, sweet love. And like, it's like, dude, what did you think was going to happen? Um, I really hate to say that somebody was asking for it, but he was, pretty clearly asking for it at that point. No, I think he was. I think he was trying to goad her in response. Yeah. 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 I think a lot of this was he, he knew he knows he's on camera and he wants to get Jessica to go completely over the edge, which is kind of fascinating, right? Because by doing that he's putting her at risk to being, you know, arrested and, and put mm-hmm. away forever when clearly that's not what he wants overall. So, I mean, by, by like, putting her in that position, he's also putting his own goals at risk in a weird way. Hmm. Maybe, it's, because, I, I I mean, I, I think he was trying to get her to think of the possibility. 
she might have worried about getting arrested more than he would have worried about, let's say, strolling into the precinct and just having them, you know, hmm. give her up. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always possible he could have just, you know, fixed everything again um, with his power. But yeah, I just, I always thought it was really interesting. It was just like a, this is like, it's very against his, what his end goal is, which is to get her to fall for him again or to be interested in him again under like her own willingness. Free will. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm inclined to believe him that that's what he says, but I just think that maybe that's not as high in his hierarchy of needs as him creating footage that'll help him get out, you know? I mean, like, basically, the, all of the video that happens that's taken is all inadmissible in court yeah. for, like, any reason, any of it. Like, Jessica's doing stuff illegal on it. She doesn't – but she – Jessica is willing to go to jail to put him away. That's the thing. Like, well, that's if, the, the, if it came down to the – if it came down to, like, oh, this could put him away, but it'll also indict you, like, she would say, okay, you know? But the question is, would it even do that? I mean, it, so she's kidnapped him. She's torturing him. He's under duress. Her goal is to get him to confess to get Hope out. I don't think it would even do that because all he says has to sit there and say is, you know, I said whatever I had to do to 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 get her to stop Escape beating this me. Yeah. So even then, it wouldn't have like completed her goal. It's just like the whole plan. It just seems to be so poorly thought through. That I like, I almost have the vibe of like the writers didn't know what to do at this point. I yeah, I I kind of disagree. Okay, I I think we're meant to see that uh, Jessica is not the master strategist. Like throughout, these are the actions of someone who uh, is focused to the point of desperation. She's she's throwing anything at the wall and hoping something sticks. And this is the latest. This is the latest in that kind of uh, that that progression of plans of hers. Um, I think it ties in with just the uh, with this sector of the MCU. She'll tell she's not a hero. These are these are people without resources for the most part, uh, who are making all this up on the fly. Well, yeah, I mean, I could definitely see her being on the, being on the fly, especially the way the the last episode ended with her just like stabbing him and, and kidnapping him. Like she, there's very good chance she's probably making up on the on the fly and and doesn't really have a plan and just kind of going with the flow. But it's still like I don't know, it's so poorly thought through. Um, I don't like I can't tell if she knows that it's poorly thought through or not. Possibly. You know, but she's uh, she's not going to trust Hogarth with a plan. Uh, she's not going to endanger Patsy with a plan. Yeah. And you know, and I I I don't believe she I I don't think she wants to. Uh, I don't want. I, I think Simpson is a distasteful option for her. And well, it's, it's 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 her. It, this is this is her weight. You know. Well, this is a question, a good question that, you know, and I can't think that they ever really discussed it, was what was the plan between her and Deputy Douche uh, back in the point when he, like, introduced her yeah. to this space? Like, it was like a, hey, I'm going to show you this awesome location that we can hold him, but I don't remember them actually sitting down and being like, okay, we're going to hold him and do X, Y, and Z. Right, they never said that. Yeah, like, you see the space and you're like, wow, this place really is 
where you should hold him because you can, you know, avoid being manipulated by him and keep him in there. But yeah, they never actually come with a plan of, like, how do you prove that he has powers? How, you know, that's just well, never anything they've hit on. Well, wouldn't they have had that conversation? I think that's what's, what hope. bothers me about the episode is that clearly, like, you know, Simpson, Simpson, Samson, um, Samson, Simpson. Simpson. No, I know. I'm going with the, I'm going with the half-baked reference. Um, the, the, that they've obviously had a conversation of, we're going to grab him, we're going to take him there. You would think they would have had more than just that up to this point. I, I could be hope, you know, just imagining things, but you'd think there would have been a conversation of the, okay, we're going to snag him and then we're going to do X, Y, and Z. But from this episode, I don't get the vibe that there was ever that conversation of, okay, we, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. Cause he would have known of being like, okay, this is inadmissible because we're just mm-hmm. torturing him. Yeah. Or he might have not cared. We've also quite figured out that the guy is a complete nut job and doesn't really give a shit. He would rather kill than torture uh, Kilgrave than actually free hope. Yeah. Yeah, that's very clear. Yeah, I think... I, mean, he... I think... Sorry. I, no, I think a lot of teams have that conversation. I just don't think this... Con- I don't think this combination of people... Can have that conversation, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, one of the questions that you know, I think, like, well, actually, it might be getting a little bit ahead. Maybe we'll hold on to this question. But um, the thing that I that happens next really is that we have Hogarth show up, and it's so clear at first that Hogarth does not understand how dangerous he is. She takes personal phone calls, of, you know, in front of him, which reveal, like, we see him essentially lip reading, like, which reveal her weakness and her problem in terms of, you know, her dealing with her, her wife she's trying to divorce. And she leaves herself open to manipulation. Um, and it's like every time she interacts with him, like, he's sort of subtly tempting her. And we don't really see her she almost makes a deal with him. You know, Jessica Jones just comes in time that later in the episode, but she just does not understand that he, how dangerous he is. And I think it's because she still doesn't believe that it's real. You know, later in the episode, she sees that it's real and it changes her behavior. And that's when she actually wants to work with him. But in the beginning, she doesn't see how dangerous he is at all. That's a little surprising given everything that's gone on in the MCU at this point, you would you would think somebody presumably well-informed as, as Hogarth would be willing to give this benefit of the doubt. You know, if there's a guy, if there's a giant with green skin punching aliens in the middle of the city, yeah, you'd be inclined to think that maybe there's my control of the thing also. You know, I think that it might be because she's so much about being in control herself that like the notion of somebody like who has could have more control than her is sort of, it's just not something she can envision as a possibility. I, you know, I mean like her, the question of like Hogarth and her having control over people is like, something that, you know, emerges again from her conversation with Pam later in the episode. But I kind of feel like, I mean, she's just got a fuck ton of hubris around all of this. That's, I think that's a big part of it. Cause yeah, she of all people should know better. She's like, been playing around this so long in terms of, you know, working with Jessica, like, but I don't think she believes it until she does believe it. And then that's when she's tempted to, to use it and risk everything. Um, 
But we've also just seen that Hogarth herself has no problem manipulating people and and using information. So it's one of those like I don't know. Yeah, right. (laughs) It's 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 mirrors. It's mirrored by her. Uh, I mean, we've had this conversation before. Is a lot of the characters and a lot of the plot lines seem to be very like marry each other and extremes Mm -hmm. of one of each other's. And Hogarth is, in a way, when it comes to manipulation, people is a. uh, is you know what she does is very similar to what Kilgrave does, especially with her, her, the divorce she's going through, the stuff she's doing that is like. Well, her approach God. to her wife this episode is super incompetent, though. Like, like you even hear her realize that she'd like gone on the attack, and then she's like, "Sorry, didn't mean to say that." You know, I think she's yeah. like losing her grip on her powers, except her powers are not supernatural. You yeah. know, one of the things. One of the things that comes up now in the episode is the question of the plea deal. And when you know when you hear that, when you have the conversations between Hope and and um Jess and just Hope talking about the plea deal to Jess, I really kept thinking about how the plea bargain is a form of torture. Like for somebody who's not guilty, mm. and you people plea to have reduced sentence when they're innocent, like, and it forces you to say that you're guilty. Like you can't take a plea bargain and say, I'm innocent, but I'm going to take this plea bargain because I don't believe I'm going to have a fair trial. And I think I'll be found guilty. And like, they don't let you do that. So I don't know. I just, this whole episode just really made me connect the connect plea bargains with torture. It's an interesting take on it, actually. Now I'm thinking of making a murderer. Um. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. When you not, yeah, yeah, which I have not seen, but that certainly talks about in the real world, like having people essentially torturing people to get them to sign a plea deal, and yeah. you know, and 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 in this version, it's sort of like even if there isn't like a physical threat against the person who's incarcerated, like the desperation that you're put under. Like, we know that innocent people take plea deals all the time because they don't think they can get good legal representation or their lawyer tells them, like, look, the jury's against you anyway because everybody's racist. Like, you should just take the plea. Like, we know, especially, like, people of color are more likely to get to have to take plea deals even when they're innocent. Like, you know, they're always pushed to go settle and, like, things like that. Like, I, I just, I, I mean, this whole episode, like, we don't have much of hope in it, but when we do, I just want to, like, cry and scream every time I see her. It's so terrible. Have you heard the reasoning Hogarth gave? They they just want this. They they just want the noise shut off on this case. Mm. I'm a little surprised Hogarth caved. Uh, to touch on your point about race, why wouldn't you put Hope on the stand? Yeah. If, if you're, well, if, I mean, if, you know, she's she's your stereotypical. Girl next door, all American, almost almost to a yep. to a, to a fault. Uh, if you're if you're in a if you're a defense attorney, that's your best asset. I was thinking that too. I mean, Hogarth seems to be so on top of things as far as like winning cases and being this like amazing lawyer. You think she would look at you know a blonde, a cute blonde girl. Um and think I can easily get sympathy from the jury to at least get her to get off due to like insanity. Insanity. Yeah, I mean, and that was her first attempt. She first wanted to do insanity, and like, hope was like, I'm not insane. I was mind controlled. But yeah, I do feel like 
it's just, it's just wrong that she's being pushed to settle. Not just it's wrong because it's she shouldn't be forced to settle because she's innocent, but even strategically, it doesn't even seem like it needs to be at that point. And then, of course, when she refuses to plead you later, we hear that, um, well, now the judge is going to push for two life sentences. And I was just like, that is torture, like punishing her for not like making other people's jobs easier, basically. Like, yeah. you know, like punishing her because now she's going to force you as the judge and as the lawyer and stuff like that to do your actual job is torture. So that, I don't know, this, that was one of my big takeaways from this, from this episode. Um, so then we have uh, Jessica try to talk to the, to the detective who was on the wire, whose name escapes me because I'm terrible. Oh, um, Freeman, yeah. Thank you. Yes, Lieutenant well, Freeman. That was his name on the, on the, on the wire. Yes. Lieutenant Freeman, Clemens. now back as detective. I'm sorry? Clemens. Clemens, right? Clemens, yes. Uh, Clark um, Peters. Yeah. He's back. He's on this episode, and it, it's interesting, actually. He's interesting on this episode, uh, but he doesn't want to come right away. She eventually, like, strong harms him into by sending him incriminating video of herself torturing Kilgrave was basically how she gets him to show up there. Um, one of the, the next scene is with uh, Hogarth is spelled with Kilgrave um, because, she, she, because Jessica went out to go talk to the detective and Kilgrave is telling Hogarth, you know, you've only heard her side of the story. You've never heard my side of the story. As a lawyer, you must know reality lies somewhere in the middle and I just keep thinking about how we are always really critical of mainstream media who insists that in order to get to the truth of something, you invite the Democrats on and you invite the Republicans on. And then the truth is whatever is mathematically in the middle of what they're saying, as opposed to like, no, that doesn't tell you anything at all. Um, it was, it's just such it's one of those arguments that sounds like it's logical and isn't. It just isn't logical. And, it, it's, but it, and it's an argument that I feel like is used by like men in, who are like, you know, rapists and stuff like that, like Kilgrave, like all the time. Like she says this, I said this, so clearly the truth is like somewhere in the middle. And he just completely guilelessly puts that out. And I think that I thought that was a great touch. Yeah, and oh, the fact that she, I think that she kind of falls for his bullshit a bit. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of shows, I mean, we've talked about before how that she, you know, though she's a woman, the character's very male. Um, mm-hmm. And the fact that she's like even kind of questioning this and and not and putting up with that crap plays into that a lot. Um, and I think it would be fascinating if the character wasn't cast as her and, and wasn't was a male still a male uh, lawyer as to how we would have been reacting to it. I just, you know, just the fact that she's a woman putting you know hearing that. Is, yeah. To me, it's, it's interesting. It's very interesting as far as like a, a, a character choice and casting. And choice. then with. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Arturo, you were going to say something. This is one of those scenes I thought where I, I would have liked to have seen more of Jerry actually lawyering before we mm-hmm. before we saw that exchange. Uh, because I, you can imagine that whether she believes him necessarily or not. Uh, she, Hello? Hey, Steve. Hi. So, Stephen, we'll Hello. put you on one second. Uh, sorry, Arturo, you were saying whether or not she believes him. Whether or not I can I can believe that she would anticipate a jury's reaction to that statement. Yes, yes, and I think you're right. It would have been interesting to see her doing more of a lawyer thing with him in that scene. But well, I like that. I'm sorry, no, I have this this uh, evil fantasy that when she's like, you know, they uh, 
she she portrays this tough persona, but once she's in the classroom, she goes full Matlock. Hmm. Hmm. I'm, I'm I'm just a simple country country lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that would be so bizarre. Um. Oh, so the thing is, so so okay, so after he does the like it's all he said, she said, and surely the truth lies in the middle thing. He then brags about his powers. And that is when that is when Hogarth believes it. When he brags about his powers, Hogarth believes it and says, say it again in front of the camera. Like, you see her wavering that whole scene, like almost falling for him. And then once he finishes talking about his powers, she, she realizes that, oh, my God, this is probably real. And that's when she puts the camera on. Um, and now we've been joined by our second guest. Inter- Want to introduce him real quick, Brett? Yes, absolutely. Um... Steve got a, we've got Stephen Adwell is joining us. Uh, he's been a frequent guest on our shows. Um, he got his PhD with the, in history of public policy from the University of California, Santa Barbara, and teaches public policy at Cooney's uh, Murphy Institute for Labor Studies. The founder and writer of Race for the Iron Throne, which examines Game of Thrones, and the A Song of Ice and Fire book series from a historical and political perspective. His essays have been published in Esquire, Salon, and in two books on the subject, he co-hosts the Game of Thrones podcast for lawyers, guns, and money. Steve, welcome back. Steve, that's your ride. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, just to, uh, Stephen, are, are you there? Yep, I'm here. Okay. Just to catch you up to speed, we're up at we're up at now to the point in the episode where or where douche cop, aka. Detective Simpson, but douche cop, as we like to call him. Um, right. The special doctor who he insists on seeing has shown up um, and is sort of beginning to treat him. And we begin to suspect that there might be something more than meets the eye to Agent Simpson and his specific doctor who he is called for. Now, right. in an attempt that there to there might be more to his special forces, air quotes, history yes. than he's letting on. Than he's letting on. And, you know, this is one of those moments where I feel like it'd be really easy to lapse into spoilers, even though I actually don't really know what happens next. So I am going to say one thing. And if any of you guys have watched, well, I know, Brett, you have, and I don't yeah. know if Arturo, if you have, but if, if, for those of you who have seen this episode already, refrain from responding to the point that I'm about to raise, because you'll actually know if it's true or not. But I'm beginning to suspect that Simpson is secretly U.S. agent, who is like the right-wing Captain America who sucks. Um, my... Close. You think I'm right? Who do you but, think he is? But you can't answer uh, it if you. Well, if you okay, actually know, you can't the... answer. Well, it we we find out more when you get to the scene uh, later on with the yeah. pills that he gets. The pills are the clue. Okay, so yeah. based on the pills, what have you figured out? But only, but only things that you would know from this episode. It's a comic, uh, okay. it's well, a comic reference. Can I bring in the comics or just what? Mm, maybe we should wait then. Leave out the comics. We'll wait. <laughs> we'll just, I'll just have okay. to put out that I think he's U.S. agent who is an existing Marvel character who is like a right-wing Captain America and an asshole, which would make sure. Simpson look like a budget version of Captain America and is an asshole. Um, you, you are very, very close. If this was like a game of Marco Polo, you'd be extremely hot right now. Excellent. I like I like being right. I like being right. We'll look at the truth. will be revealed shortly. So the next scene we have is, unless anybody else has anything that you want to say about that scene that is not going to be completely spoilery, you may proceed. Uh, but um, I, I would, yeah, for those who don't know, uh, look towards the pills if you've read comics. Yeah, that will tell you pretty much everything you need to know. 
Gotcha. So Jessica Jones goes into Kilgrave's cage now. She realizes that she's, she's decided that psychologically torturing him is not going to get the answers she seeks or the proof she wants. So she will attempt to physically torture him. Um, she says, I remember how you like to be touched, and she shoves him. And then she just threatens his masculinity a lot while smacking him around. I, I was wondering if we were supposed to take from this that he, like, likes having rough sex, or I don't really know. But it's definitely an escalation in the torture, and if it doesn't work. Yeah, it. that was a weird scenario, because, you know, one of the things that I kind of was, like, trying to I kept on writing in my notes like this doesn't make sense or you know the the you know like how any of this would ever be admissible. Yeah. You know, because okay, she beats the shit out of him, he tells her to stop, she stops. Surely any defense attorney could say and she realized that she was committing a crime and therefore she stopped. Like I, I don't quite get the how do you prove mind control thing yeah this set up it's i mean one of the questions i wanted to put to everyone now that we're all here is like i and i don't know how to answer this how do you prove mind control like regardless of torture like in a situation where somebody can do mind control and you need to prove it and they don't want to reveal that they can do mind control how in god's name would you prove it whether or not you torture them or not like i mean you know my guess would be that it's it would depend on the mechanism of mind control. Like, so, for example, in the comics, his powers work by pheromones. That's oh. chemical stuff that you can actually take a sample of and, you know, analyze and show to a jury. Uh, you know, if it was, like, brain activated, I guess you could do some sort of a scan while he's doing that and sort of, you know, again, this is all... The science of this gets a little bit gobbledygooked this episode, I have to say, uh, which I'll be happy to get into later. But, you know, I think the main thing would be you just need to show some sort of mechanism, you know, by which this is actually happening. Arturo, do you have any thoughts on how we would get him to reveal his powers if we had to? You tell me. No, I'm joking. Yeah. Um. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> No, I, I I I think you can polish up Jessica's idea of you basically have to report him commanding someone to commit self harm in, in a fairly flagrant flagrant fashion. Uh, if 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 he if if a, let's say if a camera had been around. Uh, during the incident with the bus, let's say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, that would have uh, constituted something admissible and demonstrable. Hmm. Because that's, that kind of stuff can't happen without uh, a, a superhuman component, literally. Yeah. It's just like it's so hard to because all of the situations the cases so where he uses it is were ones where he makes sure he can't be observed. I, I you know I don't envy as much as I think Jessica Jones is doing a terrible job like the individual not the show but um, I, I don't know what the fuck to tell her otherwise I really don't. Um, so in, in, in the scene you know like Hogarth comes in when the 
the fighting is going on, and you know, Hogarth says like this is is like the first person to say that this is torture. Like nobody has really used that word on this episode till then. Um, you know, Trish basically reminds Jess, like Jessica sees when she looks at the video that she was not in control, that he was controlling her, but not with his powers, just by being obstinate basically and making her be complicit. And you know, Trish basically says, as long as you care about Kilgrave, then he is in control of you. It's just a good point, you know, like even if he's not using his powers, as long as she gives a fuck about him, he is in control. Which I really, I just, I couldn't have anything else to say to that other than, yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, isn't the, the just the idea of him getting Jessica to flip her shit and like beat the crap out of him in a way still controlling her? Like even yeah, in that, and that's what we're saying. Like, yeah, yeah. It, so long as she cares well, about him in any way, like, yeah. Well, it, it's not just that. It's even that he's like, you know, twisted. That that line feels good, doesn't it? Being in control, it's mm. like a, in a twisted way, he's trying to show her how he thinks. You know, it's like it's not quite the you know we're not so different, you and I moment, but it's kind of <laughs> it's like you know one of the things we definitely see this episode is like. Jessica Jones is not someone without a callous and manipulative side herself. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, other than, other than Trish, there really is no one that's straight good in the series. And even Trish, you know, clearly had some issues in the past or something was in the past. Um, I mean, so Trish goes along with the torture, you know? Like, yeah. she doesn't try to stop it. She participates... Like, you know, for as long as she can make herself stomach it, you know, and I I think that her her intentions are a lot purer than most people's, but she is still complicit in, like, in the torture in the episode. Which is kind of interesting, because she's sort of, at least, like, Simpson kind of positions her as, like, the good person. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and there's that whole, like, you know, what would Trish do? What would Jess do thing? One of the things that I think is weird about this episode is how many, and actually the last one, is how it's sort of become a thing where, like, Kilgrave is saying, like, we have to just get away and, like, avoid it or just shoot. Like, he, he's, his motivations and what he's asking for and what Trish wants, like, they just keep changing. And it doesn't really seem clear. You know, Trish is telling Jessica, you need to stop letting him control you. We can just leave. Like, let's get away. Just leave him here and let's get away. I mean, she's giving up, you know, her whole professional career and her whole life to do that. But, like, Trish also cares about hope. Trish's motivations just keep changing a lot right now, and it's sort of hard to track it. Yeah. For for me, it illustrates the difference between where this universe is in relation to metahumans and where the 616 is. Because without spoiling Atlas, the series, while I recommend it, everyone there is experienced in the world of, of metahumans and superpowers and even dealing some, with someone like Kilgrave. Mm-hmm. Every, everything there is a known quantity. And there's a, a community already in place. So what mm-hmm. we're seeing here is people without any support whatsoever. And so even Trish, with her resources, you know, because of her position, her public position, is, is just at a complete loss. That's a great point. 
this would be completely different in a world where people like had superheroes and people knew that this shit was real. Like, that's a good point. Um, I want to jump ahead to, well, Pam and Pam, you know, tries to seduce Hogarth into Hogarth, into to getting Hogarth's groove back and to being big, bad, manipulative Hogarth again. Um, we have more explicit lady sex than I've seen in most TV shows, but then I don't really watch a ton of shows that have a lot of like queer female characters, to be honest. Um, but basically Pam just makes it very clear. She's only attracted to Hogarth and Hogarth control. And that's when after that, and after that little like tease in her office, that's when Hogarth decides she wants to try to compromise and use Kilgrave's powers on Wendy in some way. I thought that was pretty pivotal. Like Pam is like controlling Hogarth through sex and ego. And then Hogarth is like, okay, I'm going to, you know, work with Kilgrave so that Kilgrave can help me. Any thoughts on those scenes on the Pam and Hogarth scene? Well, the the Pam manipulating Hogarth, I thought for a while, uh, clearly like Pam's doing, um, you know, the way she dresses and kind of flirts and does some stuff with Hogarth was like, it's, it's clear that that's what she's been up to. I, here, I think it's just, it's very explicit and upfront. Um, as my wife, the lawyer keeps on saying, no one would be wearing what Pam wears in a, in a office. And like a law, law firm, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. It, it's very clear that the Pam's sexuality is part of what drives Hogarth's interest, putting it nicely. <laughs> and it's also, tricky. like... Oh, God. No, it's just saying, but also, like, ultimately, if Hogarth... Hogarth needs to just give Wendy 90% of her money. Like, she needs to make this stop and get on with her life. Like, she should not be risking getting disbarred the way she's risking. Like, it's a huge ego thing for her. I can't believe that that she can't get by like she's not signing up to an agreement to give her 90% of her shit moving forward. It's not alimony forever. It's just a, a percentage of the existing income she has. Like Hogarth is not playing this rationally. She just can't let herself be beat. The seduction scene struck me as very, very noir. Very what? Noir. Oh, very noir. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah bad window. people doing things for bad reasons. Oh, yeah. I actually, I noticed that the way the Chrysler building, actually, I don't remember if it was Chrysler or Empire built, right? I, I didn't have it in my notes. Behind them in that scene, it looks like it's in black and white. Yeah. Sorry, I cut you off there, but. No. You know, my other thought was, I <laughs> wish, I, and this is a tied to a bigger concern with the MCU, I wish Pam were played by a woman of color. Mm. Hmm. That would have added a, 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 a different dynamic to it. I think it would have, uh, you could have gotten a, a bigger conversation out of that relationship at that point. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, no, this, that, this show, like, does not really have any women of color who have speaking roles. Like, you know, Reva is dead, and mm-hmm. that's it. And Jessica Jones, right? Well, there was the... the... Um, woman that Luke was seeing, but that's kind of a definition of a bit part. Yes. She does not come off well. <laughs> um, no. At all. But, yeah, that's a good point. That would have that would have been, an, an, you know, an opportunity to have some more diversity in the show. 
Well, that's an um, issue of uh, the Marvel universe as a whole. Yeah. With, with people of color. I mean, you had Ben Urich in, in Daredevil, who should be a huge character and still alive, but spoiler, you know, not. Yeah. yeah, which, you know, I think it's a, a problem for the, I guess we call it, we could call it the Marvel Netflix universe, yeah. which is that it seems to be, you know, bound and determined in, in some ways of eliminating characters who could be incredibly useful in building that universe. Because, you know, why not have Ben Yurick cover the Hope, you know, Shotman yep. case or yeah. cover the Survivor story? Like, He's already keyed into weirdness in Hell's Kitchen. Yeah, that's the thing I, I never understood about what they did with him. Is out of every character in the Marvel Universe, he would have been so useful uh, for so many reasons. Of just the fact that he's a reporter, that you could have him be the connector between series without actually yeah. having a connector between series. Like You could have him covering the case. And that would be your entire connection between this and Daredevil, and that's it. I mean, for, just for those of you who don't know, on Daredevil, on Daredevil there was a character who is a who is a reporter who's a really awesome character, and he was played by a black actor, and he is killed on the show, and he's a character like it, we were all shocked he was killed because yeah, he's like one of the most important reporters in the Marvel universe, and you thought he'd kind of show up on all the Marvel Netflix shows like being a reporter, and it would have it would have been really helpful, and also you know an interesting and important character of color. Yeah, uh, and yep. speaking of nope. which, the the moment that uh, uh, Detective, I forget what his name is in the show, but to me he's Lester Freeman, says that yeah. he's two years <laughs> away from a full pension. I was like, no, don't ever say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's how you know you're going to get shot is by saying that. He has not been shot, but he did just have his hand completely mangled, escaping handcuffs. We'll get to that in a moment, though. Oh, oh my God, I, that hurt so bad to watch. Um so Pam, Trish, okay. Uh, we then, you know, there's a little bit more detective work um, when, when, they, uh, when finally, like Jess is like, I'm going to figure out how we're going to find his parents, uh, which involves various Jessica Jones detectiving, and mm-hmm. I think it's maybe symbolic that it was only once there's a boot print on the face of that woman professor that. Yeah. Jess recognizes her as being the woman from Malcolm's Survivor's Circle. Um, right. Can I say one thing about the parents, which kind of uh-huh. I found internally inconsistent or confusing? Like, the the line between were they torturing Kilgrave or not, you know, I... I wasn't really clear where we were supposed to come down on it. And mm-hmm. I really don't, I found the idea that he, he was always sort of fathomlessly evil, much less intellectually and like aesthetically satisfying than the idea that like, here was someone Skinner boxed, you know, and came coming out of it as sociopath. Because, you know, what I found strange is, okay, they, their attitude was, and is it okay if I jump ahead a little? Yeah, 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 go ahead. Okay, so their attitude was like, you know, we saved him. But if all you need to do is save him, why the mental exercises? Why the documentation of all of this? You know, I, this mm-hmm. suggested to me that they're like, they were aiming for something and then 
were terrified when they got what they wanted. I just think that, I, you know, ironically, given my critique of the truth lies somewhere in between that I said earlier in this episode, I feel like this is one of those the truth lies somewhere in between <laughs> things within the show. Like, I, I really have this as something I wanted to talk about, actually. Like, his parents fucked up and he's fucked up. And, like, the question of, like, who, where does the blame lie and at what level, you know, like, he'll, you know, it's like, I was 10 years old and I had a tantrum. I mean, I'm sorry, no 10-year-old I know has a tantrum that involves burning their mom's face with an iron. Um, that's that's already past, uh, you know, ten, even 10-year-old with anger problems levels. Um, but, like, his parents are, fucked him up and he's fucked up. And at what level is who accountable for what? Like, I, I think what you're saying, Stephen, is that, you know, they – I think that could be that could be the case. Like it could be all of those things could be true. You know. Yeah, I mean, to me, like the the you know the scientists who decide to include their own child in the experiment and then skip town with grant money and seemingly keep going with the experiments. That's the part where I'm like, people who are down with that are not selfless. You know, self sacrificers. Mm. I'm, you know, I'm also very curious to see, you know, these other people in the experiment, just sort of seeing ways that the MNU is is uh, building more superhumans into their into their world. Right. That's my big question. Is you know, doesn't this hint that there are other folks who might have powers, not necessarily his powers, but powers out there that came out of this? Yeah, it does, and it like. Within the, you know, and this again gets to like the whole connections with the the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I was curious. It's like, okay, so this is happening at the University of Manchester. Does like Shield not know about this? Was this part of Shield? Was this part of something else? Was this Hydra related? Perhaps. I'm shocked that they didn't do it. This is Hydra related. Yeah, it's it's very Hydra ish. Like you know, the, like this kind of like testing things on human subjects around superpowers is like Hydra, like that's Hydra shit. That's what they do. That's how Spider-Woman got her powers, basically. Um, well, it's straight up how the twins got their powers in Age of Ultron. They were using hmm. the scepter to, to torture and see what would happen, and then you get you get uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. So yeah. it's very, I mean, very that would be kind of That would be kind of interesting. It's like, you know, two Hydras, like... It, it, it's that kind of, you know, um, the Harvey and Janet of the Hellfire Club thing. It's like <laughs> two hydro scientists still don't deserve what happened to them. So it's kind of, it, it would complicate the situation interestingly if it was like, you know, yeah, these people that we just saw, you know, horribly mutilated, you know, did they deserve it or did they not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean it's horrible. I what what happens with them? Like I think that they obviously like behaved responsibly to their child at minimum, and probably like straight up just tortured him. Period. Um, the exchange between him, I think, and his parents. Wait, so I mean, this, I, before we go further, so the there was a thing, and I was trying to think. I've been researching to remember in this episode there is a throwaway line that. It wasn't torture to give Kilgrave powers. 
they do say something about him having a neuro disease and neural right, disease that they, to cure it. Right, yeah. that they used a right, but that's not consistent with the videotape. Because the videotape shows them not only doing all kinds of physical stuff that you wouldn't need for a a virus that would change his damaged DNA, which by the way, that's you know that's not what a neurological disease does. <laughs> you know, the science in this episode was absolutely god awful. But at the same time, like, if that's the case, why are they doing all of these mental tests, which seem to me to be, you know, uh, I wasn't exactly sure whether, the, um, like, it, it vaguely reminded me of the test that the, um, oh, shoot, what's his name did? The the guy who likes to disprove psychics. So, like, you know, do the pattern that I, you know, assembled in this room before you got here kind of thing. Hmm. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. I can't think of the name. It's not Yuri Geller, but I know who you're talking about. It's the guy who went after Yuri Geller. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, actually, this brought, this brought up something that I wanted to that I wanted to mention also is in terms of the scientific tests. Like, there's a special like level of hell for people who like don't take into consideration other people's physical well-being and comfort, like when doing medicine and things like that. Like, I, you know, I I know like there have been so many studies, for example, of like doctors, you know, when women have pain as part of their medical problems like doctors under prescribe pain killers for women mm-hmm. and they think that we're all crazy uh, i've had friends who, like gone for african americans yes and african americans well. too and people have come in I, I know people who like like have gone in and they're like well wait why did the doctor and have had medical things done to them when i'm like dude like when i saw the doctor for this they did this to me first so it didn't hurt like why didn't they do that for you like i know these things have happened to people like you know you can like there's like different ways you can like test for things and there's ways that you can hurt people or not. And like the kind and the way his parents were testing him, like even if they had to do tests on him because they were trying to track the neurological disease to see whether or not it was still progressing or whatever, there have to be ways that are less painful than the ways that they went through. Oh, I don't doubt that. I don't doubt. So as someone who's been poked and prodded a hell of a lot, don't disagree with that at all. Um, I'm just saying that like they do give a reason the reason smells like bullshit, but they do give a reason. Yeah, yeah, that's, I, I would lean towards the smelling like bullshit, because I was like, okay, so why did they skip down with the grant money then? Yeah, it, it doesn't... Because they were because on the run, a, and they needed the right, money. Right, but that sounds like, to me, like, we're on the run because we're conducting, you know, we found a metahuman, and, you know... Yeah, we, we got caught... Know. We got caught, and we're making a run for it before we get busted. Anyway, That's the vibe um, I got. But yeah. So, okay, moving on from my digression, maybe is this where we the running? <laughs> yeah, of the but episode? this is sort of the next big thing to talk about, like, like this the conversation about like his, the scene with his parents. I mean, real quick, like, if anybody had any thoughts around the um, the support group scene, like, you know, that that is the next thing that happens if folks want to chime in on that. Uh, that was uh, that was another one where I, I I thought that was a very uh, playing to trope. Mm-hmm. Like that was that was a sequence you typically would see from a guy detective character. Mm-hmm. Because uh, he would be like in what way? In in that she crashes the group, uh, disrupts it pretty much, mm-hmm. undermines undermines the, the well dressed member. Basically, dismisses what he went through with. You know, you lost a coat. Move on. 
Uh, right. All, all, all in the name of outing uh, Kilgrave's mom and 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 yeah, tailing her. Uh, so it it struck me even more so the the second time around is is, is innovative the right word? Uh, a, a change of change of the change of pace. You know, I I feel like usually a detective show would have us watch the detective charm their way through this. Instead, Jessica basically uh, shames everything in her past to get what she wants. Yeah. Yeah. That's, the that's the one moment that. where she wasn't like that, which I, I really liked, was the bit where she tells Malcolm, uh, help those people, that's your superpower. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Also, like, a uh, healthy Malcolm wears yellow instead of blue. I just oh, not healthy Malcolm wears gray and blue, and healthy Malcolm wears yellow. We've not seen him in this color scheme before. Hmm. Good catch. I, yeah, I thought that catch. was on purpose. Um, but yeah, that totally makes sense, uh, um, Arturo. I, ha- I hadn't really thought about it that way. Um, so then the next scene is she brings his parents in to. Um, into the room, um, you know. I, once the once the detective comes into the comes into the room and says, "Okay, everybody, hands up." That just reminded me of so many stage plays, where like at the end the detective comes in and like everybody sees it, it's like a parlor room drama. Mm. That was. Mm. Do you know what? I'm trying to think about the right words for this. Does that make sense to anyone? Like. Mm-hmm. Now we'll finally get the resolution of this. Now that the detective is here, we'll go through the three possible ways this may have occurred. It's very clear. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I was. This is where I was like, I, I wrote again. This is nuts because I was like, okay. Bottom line, you know, you 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 kidnap somebody, you're torturing them. Now you're holding a cop. Now you've kidnapped a cop. You know. Not only is this evidence never seeing the inside of a courtroom, but you're all going to jail. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought it was particularly just, like, touching and real how the very, very first thing Kilgrave's mom says to him when she gets into the, the, the sin bin is, have they given you enough to eat? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that might have been like the one of the most well-written lines in the episode. Like, no matter how evil she is, no matter how evil her son is, like that's what she's going to ask first. And he laughs, and you know, talks about yeah. how she never cared about that when he was like running around and starving on his own. But, um, but yeah, the the I thought the entire exchange between him and his parents in the box was really well done, like, in terms of the scripting and the dialogue. You know, as much as I have a problem with what, with a lot of things, like, I thought that 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 sequence was done really well. You know, when he apologizes, I'm sorry I hurt you, Mom. I I actually... Believed him? Believed him. What do you guys think? Um... I believe it. Like I, I think he's conflicted as to where he's he is with his parents, and 
the relationship of uh, they tortured him and he tortured them. Like it's, I, I believe it. Like I, I don't think there's nothing in this episode or even in future episodes that really make me think that he's full of shit in that. Yeah. By the way, one thing I did notice, just a, a weird running theme with Kilgrave, is the stuff about uh, telling them when they could piss. Yeah. Mm. I think that's a thing, like, again, there's this, like, bodily autonomy, dignity, adulthood thing going on. You know. Yeah. And it, it, makes you, it makes you sort of wonder, like, you know, because they have that moment, right, where I mean, we see the the first moment where he gets his powers, where, you know, finally he has the power to stop them from, you know, torturing him. Uh, and they're terrified, and he, you know, starts to realize what he can do. Um, but, you know, that does sound like something that a child would do. You know, Yeah, that's very Freudian. You know, yeah, it, it, I mean, it's, you know... I mean, it's not quite anal expulsive and anal retentive, but it does have that very kind of early childhood development, you know, bodily self-control issue going on. Mhm. Mhm. I think it's. I think that's important. And uh, just you know, to to answer the question about the you know, was this real? You know, one of the things that I was kind of wondering is like, if the mom hadn't brought the scissors in. You know what would have happened? Yeah. Like what? Would you, what would Jessica have even proven? Like what would their? I guess like he could have commanded his parents to do something of some kind. Fight each other. Well, I mean, they potentially mm. could have testified that he had those powers. Now, granted, whether or not anyone would have believed them, you know, they also have the videotape of the powers. They could have authenticated that. It'd be hard because yeah. the video was, was real. Well, yeah, well, I mean, there's that question, right? Like, she's got the video of him as a kid doing these things, so why isn't that the evidence? Well, because, I mean... Uh, along, with that, along with that evidence is you have to bring in the other experiments. Mm. Or I, I don't or know if parents. you'd need to... I don't, need, I don't know if you'd need to for Hope's case, but I do think that you would need the parents to prove authenticity like how do we know that you didn't fake this videotape you know so for them to come in and say yes this videotape is real you know but i mean then the crazy thing is like short of her you know physically threatening them how do you get them to come in and admit that like we conducted illegal human experiments (laughs) you know in a bid to create superpowers for british hydra for british hydra Yeah, yeah or or MI-13, you know, whatever it is. That's what I wonder, if it has something to do with MI-13. Aha! That would be on the same cool. wavelength. Yeah, which would be really, really cool. Which is, the, for those who don't know, is... Go ahead. Uh, British Shield, I guess, mixed with the Avengers? Yeah. Kind of the way uh, I'm going to go universe. with, like, Marvel's Torchwood, but... Okay. Well, you know, but then would they get the rights to Pete Wisdom? Um, I think those would still be with Fox because he showed up originally in and Excalibur. And X, yeah, in Excalibur. The more you know, 
Um, but yeah, there could definitely be a tie in there, although I doubt Marvel is thinking about British superhero teams and such. Um, but yeah, so so the thing is, I mean, ultimately, like the fact that Joan Jessica, the fact that Kilgrave's mother is killed, is basically Jessica's fault because she should have checked. Oh, yeah. She should have checked um, the mom for weapons. Frankly, she should have searched the parents for weapons before bringing them in there. I kind of got the idea that she knew she was armed, that this was the incident she needed to, like, you know, if you can prove, if you can make someone who's attacking you with a knife stab themselves to death, that's, you know, that's pretty, yeah, you know, that's pretty damning. Well, don't forget the other factor, though, the, the, the tripwire either gives out or was disabled. Yeah, the tripwire gave out. Like that was the thing. So like she was counting on being able to stop um the to stop the assault before it actually began. But, you know, hubris and all that, she was not able to because the the, the 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 electricity went out on the wire. She was counting on that. But again, that's like she shouldn't be counting on that. Right. She shouldn't have sent somebody in who had a weapon that could be used against them with Kilgrave. Like that is gross negligence on Jessica's part. Like, I, I understand her putting the parents in the room with him, but she needed to make sure – she needed to, like, test the, the wire again. She needed to do more due diligence before putting anybody in that space with, with Kilgrave, and she needed to, like, not let them bring in fucking weapons. Speaking of weapons, at this point, Trish actually, you know, given that this is the whole question, Trish uses the gun. You know, she – she legit tries to kill Kilgrave. Now, I think, arguably, in a completely different moral scenario, like mm-hmm. he's yeah, actively he's commanding someone. someone to murder themselves. Yeah. Um, but uh, she's very lucky. It took all the bullets and the gun to mm-hmm. uh, to take out that window. Although, uh, interesting question. I didn't count the shots. Did they? Did they fudge that or? I I, I don't know. When I watch it again, I will I will let you know because that is an interesting question. Yeah. How many shots should have there been? I don't know guns well enough. Is that was that uh, a, six? Was it a revolver? Because it was a revolver. Yeah. Okay. No, I wonder if uh, I watch it again. I'll let you know. That's a good question. Uh, but um, it is kind of like. You know, fascinating. Like that, it's it's almost like explosive the way that the moment he gets out of, you know, the moment the room is open, it's like, okay, you shoot yourself, detective. You're now my, you know, my human shield, essentially. Yes. So yeah, I did want to talk a little bit about like Kilgrave's escape. I mean, for one thing, by the time that shit goes down with the scissors, the detective is scared. Like the detective thought these were crazy people being crazy. But after the stabbing herself, the detective is like, no, this shit's real. So they did achieve right. one thing. They now have a cop, another cop, I mean, in addition to douche cop, they now have a second cop who believes that his powers are real. Um, but, yeah, what do you think about the escape sequence, how it was staged and sequenced and all that? Um, it makes sense for me. I think I think we've seen that Kilgrave is someone who uh, 
is not only a heavy planner, but has long ago learned to look at people as either assets or obstacles. Like this is basically what he would have done when when Hogarth was going to come in, you know. Right. Like he's been ready this whole time. I think. Yeah. Um, and you know the interesting thing is, you know, he, he's like for example, I thought it was interesting. He didn't make use of Trish beyond telling her to shoot herself. But in some ways, she could have been a much more effective human shield. Than the cop? Yeah, he, he, he was just angry at her. I think that's why. Yeah, I, you know, there, so it's sort of a mixture of calculation and... Um, rage. Uh, rage. And then we get that moment where his, his powers don't work on her, on, on Jessica. Yes. That was one of my favorite moments in the series thus far. And that was going to say is like we we you know the sequences, you know we see the close up of him saying let go of me Jessica and she holds on and then he directs the cop to intervene instead, um, and then once he escapes outside and she looks around, she then has a flashback and there really aren't that many flashbacks like this you know to what happened moments earlier, and then you see her back again standing in the street looking around and then it flashes to her flashback of Reba of the whole thing with Reba, um, where he is saying, let go of me, you know, don't, like, when, when he's trying to control her and she doesn't listen to him. And that's when we, as viewers, remember that we've already had footage of her not listening to him. And the thing is, I was very conscious of that, like, that she had successfully broken away from his control before. <laughs> but it just sort of seemed like it was such an extens- extenuating and specific circumstance that enabled that to happen. But it was sort of like one of those hidden in, in plain sight sorts of things, I guess. Yeah. It certainly is like a revelation to her as the thing, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, in obviously in that initial, you know, the the first time that we've seen that sequence, she's sufficiently out of it in the moment that she doesn't realize that um, that he can't control her. And then, you know, since he showed up in the police headquarters it's been about he was refusing, you know, or he was choosing not to, to show her, or sorry, to, to control her. And now she knows consciously that he really doesn't have any power over her personally. But he must have had power over her before. It's just that she eventually got an immunity to it or something. Well, yeah, I mean, definitely before she wandered off, but there was something that happened that night that clearly broke the the hold. She was just in, I guess, too much trauma to uh, to be conscious of what was going on. What do you guys think? I I took it to mean that the act of breaking. Uh, of, of breaking the or of her active resistance uh, in 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 the street sequence uh, was enough to get her to uh, break the spell, whatever you want to call it. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. And and I, I think you're I think you're right. There was just no way to test that before before this moment. 
So I thought that was a, I thought it was a good reveal. I thought it came at a good time in the series. Um, I especially liked the little smile Jessica lets out at the end, where she I mean because she understands that this change this this alters her game plan for the first time in a positive manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And although I, you know, I have to say, like, obviously, you know, in terms of looking at this first nine episodes, you know, this is a huge moment for her in terms of, you know, her sense of control over herself and her environment. It's just like, given all of the human damage in the room behind her, I was like, oh, she's she's legitimately frightening me at this moment, and I was wondering, yeah. like, was this starting to become sort of an Ahab and the whale situation? I totally agree. I was like, what is she smiling about? Like, I knew that why she was smiling, but I was like, dude, he escaped, and people are fucked, and that woman is dead, and, like, I, I had the same response as you, Stephen. I don't, I don't think she forgot that. I think she, I, I think she just allowed herself that one millisecond of, that was it, that's something she can work with now, uh, because every everything up to that point she'd have, she'd approach from the viewpoint of she could be trapped again, just that easily. Hmm. Well, it's a game changer, right? Like the fact that she's not being she's not controlled means she can go up and attack him or just snatch him more easily than she did. She doesn't have to use the the um, fentanyl or whatever it was. Like, she can just go up, cold cock him, and, and grab him. Um, See, I think he you know. still does have control over her. It's just that she's able to resist it. Like, I think it's like trying to, you know, it's like she has to act. Like, I don't think it's easy. I think it's hard, but that she can. You know mm. what I mean? And, you know, he was, yeah. he had just been shot and tortured. So, there's there's all kinds of questions about sort of how much oomph does he need to control people? True. But yeah, the ending of the episode was like everything has gone to hell. You know, the cop wrenches his hand through the handcuffs because he directs them to follow him out. You know, like I mean, technically speaking, Kilgrave tells Trish to put a gun gun in her head. Like she could have been and she does. To force the, no, she tries to shoot herself. She could have been sitting yeah. there trying to force the gun through her head. Oh, I see what you mean. Uh, I don't know if it works. It's hard to say whether it works like that because, like, clearly some things are completely literal, like the 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 two house servants who, like, literally cannot blink. And I'm not I'm not sure how that would work actually because like, blinking is not a conscious uh, factor. So it's sort of, yeah. So it's like how much how much does he control and how how to what extent is it meant literally versus subject you know subjectively well he's hinted uh, that, that. You know, he's hinted, hinted to the answer on that like when he talked to Jessica about killing Luke's wife he said um i just asked you to like take care of her or something like that you're the one that take care her. of it take care of it right yeah. and that you're the one that killed her right. which means that there yeah, is but, some loose interpretation as to what the the instructions right. are Although the flip side, when he tells that guy, uh, or this at least was my interpretation, when he says he told the guy to go fuck himself once. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, I was like, mm. oh god, did did someone actually like cut off their genitals? Yeah. In order I, to I do mean, that, because I think that's it a reminds me reference. of a preacher. Yeah. 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 I think that's actually straight up preacher reference. Yes. Since that's going to be a show on AMC, I think they yeah. were there. It was a slight nod towards that. But on the other hand, like when when he told um, uh, Detective, um, sorry, Officer Simpson, to leave, he had to uh, clarify that he meant jump off the building. Mm. So it's like some things get interpreted through that way. Right. Yeah. So it's like some things are done through like what that person would normally think of as common sense. You know, where it's more like what legitimately hypnotism is actually like. Um, and then other things seem to be this kind of like hyper-literal mind control. Hmm. But, I mean, you know, I one of the things, you know, I, I, I will be curious to see in episode 10 how they explore this because in the, in the moment it was very fast, is like, Trish tried to kill herself. That's a big deal for her. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Did they have they made reference to her trying to kill herself before? I don't. Like she she had I an addiction so. problem. I don't. I'm trying to remember if it was like they ever went that far and said that she had, like, she also did that. I it, It's a... No, honestly, it's not even I don't a, think so. Right. I don't think well, so. I'm pretty damn sure. You mentioned on a, a previous podcast, because I, I just caught up with them um, the other day, there was the whole thing that, like, she may have a history of um, some sort of self-harm, because there's that whole thing where a young Jess... Something oh, on no, her no. Shoulder My that... point is that that's not an indication of self-harm because it's her neck. And, like, self-harmers can't really do things to their neck. I well, there's always... a kind of, like, scratching self-harm versus cutting. Like yeah, but, like, it's her neck. Like, I, like, I mean, I don't know. I'm not an expert on self-harm, but I feel like if they were trying to signal that to us, it would be cuts on her arm and not, like, something on her neck. Uh, so you I think she was getting hit by her mother or? Yeah, or, like, or, or, by, or by her agent or, like, by somebody. Uh, I think her mother. Yeah, I'm pretty convinced all the abuse was from her mother, and there was some physical abuse about it. And I'm not going to say that, like, Trish might not have had a problem with self-harm, but that the neck thing is not connected to it. Do you know what I mean? Uh, no, I, like, I got to hear that there like, was self-harm. Self doing it to her. Yeah. Yeah, but I think there, were, there was hints to me that there was actual self-harm, that she was, like, cutting herself or something at some point. Really? I don't... No, I, I really don't think so. Like, I, I, ever since I, like, was you know, saw that, that, that the sequence in the flashback, I've been particularly looking for that. And I just haven't like, I mean, you know, beyond like her using drugs or people saying that she was using drugs. I'm not like, it sounded like she was probably being over-medicated. Is what yeah. It was, I mean, but... You know, I, that was kind of what I was thinking is that she was on some sort of, um, you know, keep her going or whatever, and just was using them too much. But, you know, I, it, it would not shock me that someone in her kind of like, you know, overly stage parented child celebrity, you know, totally not in control of one's own life might go in for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Well, um, I mean, we've covered the whole episode. So I know in the beginning of the episode, I'm sorry, in the beginning of our episode of the show, Stephen, well, we each spoke a little bit about what we thought about the episode overall. Do you want to just sort of say overall what your thoughts are about this episode? Because we were not, we are not huge fans of this episode, even though there are definitely are moments in it that I think are quite well done. Um, I thought it was interesting, but it was just like people were making really crazy decisions. And I was like, this, this is weirding me out. Um, but uh, I did like the, the revelation about, you know, the, uh, the red, white, and blue pills, and you know, I, I won't say anything more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, you know, we all were sort of talking about how, like, this in this in this in this episode, like, we have Jessica Jones straight up torturing somebody, which is pretty much universally like considered to be both wrong and not effective, and. You know, I don't. I feel like she leaves this episode not realizing, like, how badly she fucked it up. But she's really good at blaming herself about things that aren't her fault. So she'll probably get around to blaming herself when things are. Yeah, I really want her to, you know, have an episode where she has to reckon with some of the human costs of of this crusade. Yeah. Yeah, like the mom being dead. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Oh, she'll get around to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, she's like she's good at beating herself up. So, but yeah, this was just not like I. You know, I had sort of had this in my notes labeled that this is like the torture episode, and you know, the episode where you would have this conversation around the efficacy of torture and how it doesn't work and all that. But it's also like. I don't think that my problems with this episode begin and end with the fact that Jessica's being immoral. Like, that does not, to me. I, I think it's just a bad episode. There's just things that don't just don't make sense and um, aren't explained enough that we can figure out what her thought process is to justify what her actions. Hmm. Like, they leave, they leave too much out there. Like, we're debating a lot on, like, what is she thinking? Does she? What's her plan to actually get him to show his powers? How is it? You know, how does she think this is admissible? Like all these things, where we don't statements here and there would have been very helpful to explain all that and her thought process of like mm-hmm. this is why she's going that this way when it's it's left up to interpretation and because of that. It makes no sense because, as I said before, like her and Samson clearly talked about a plan involving this place. This would have come up the conversation somewhere. Yeah. Well, if anybody doesn't have anything else that they want to say about this episode, then we should probably wrap up and and hope that we'll be more enthusiastic about the next one. I for folks who <laughs> want to hear more about people from Gothic Policy talking about torture in, in superheroes and stuff, you should definitely go and listen to Under Gothic Policy, search for us, the episode um, that we did around uh, Daredevil, the second episode we did on Daredevil with our guest, Stephen, um, with guest Spencer Ackerman. We talked about torture on Daredevil, which is a big theme on that show. Yes. Yep, yep. Um, so I guess since we're wrapping up, uh, we'll do our usual kind of sign-off um, Arturo, um, we asked people like if, if you want to promote 
um, where people can find you uh, after the show, site, Twitter, stuff like that. You know, feel free to plug away. So, uh, first off, oh sorry, if uh, you can find me on Twitter at a boy named Art. Online, I'm at rawstory.com and racialitious.com. And if you're in Dallas, Texas next weekend, um, there's a I'll be there with the the local cast of the Rocky Horror Picture Show at the Texas yeah. Theater. And uh, in, it's a nice, nice old venue. Uh, but I'll be there. People from across the country are coming in for this thing. And, of course, a great show by the local cast of the Stardust. Very cool. Yeah, well, that's cool. And, Steve, if you want to plug all your stuff where folks can find you. Sure. Uh, so you can find me at racefortheironthrone.wordpress.com. Uh, I'm also on uh, Twitter at uh, Stephen Atwell, so you can find my stuff there. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Thank cool. you guys for thank- joining us. Yeah, much appreciated. Uh, thank you for having me. Yay. And me and as well. Mm-hmm. All righty. Well, and then, Brett, uh, we yes. will be back tomorrow. <laughs> we are. Um, we are doing our, our marathon amount of shows. Uh, we are back tomorrow for a brand new episode of Graphic Policy Radio, our, our main show, uh, where we will have a ghost, a guest, not ghost, guest, uh, Joey Hauser, who is part of the creative team behind Faith, uh, a new series coming from Valiant. I believe it's launching this month, later this month. Um, so we'll be talking to her. And what's great about Faith is she is a character of... Um, What's the proper term? I don't even know what the proper term is. I've been referring to her as being a plus-size superhero, but women of okay. size is certainly something people use. Um, okay. But, yeah, like, it's it's complicated because, like, you don't want to dis- – like, it's weird to sort of be like, my description of you is based on what section of the store you buy your clothes in. Like, that's yeah. kind of a weird way to label somebody. But that is, like, a very common way that people self-identify. So, Well, how about this? Yeah. She is a superhero that looks like real people. Indeed. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Um, I mean, I, I am really excited about this. So uh, for folks who don't read a lot of comics, this could be a good episode for you to listen in on because it's a brand new series that we don't know much about and we'll be learning about. And it's going to be pretty awesome. Women, women, creative team and cool to have a plus size superhero. Yes. And then we'll be back with another Jessica Jones episode next week, like next next week. Um with Danielle Page will be our guest, and she is a soap opera writer and writer of a popular young adult fiction series, um, and I'm really excited to have her perspective on it. We have never had a TV writer on the show before, so. Yes, so it's going to be really fun to talk to a TV writer to see her perspective on um, actually how the series kind of plays out, and I'm sure she will have insight that like is totally over our head, which is going to be really, really cool. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I always like getting new perspectives. So, yeah, we've got some really, really cool shows uh, coming up. And to catch those, you can just watch out and uh, uh, subscribe to Blog Talk Radio um, at Graphic Policy or Blog Talk Radio uh, slash Graphic Policy and uh, get updated. And, of course, if you came in late this episode or would like to listen to it again, you can do so also at Blog Talk Radio uh, forward slash Graphic Policy. Uh, it'll be on iTunes or Stitcher not too long after this airs, and it will be available on SoundCloud tomorrow, hopefully. And then you can take it on the go. You can share it with folks, listen to it again. So we're always appreciated of that. Um, so I, I think that's everything. We've covered a hell of a lot. 
Um, yeah. You can, of course, catch us every single day at graphicpolicy.com. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on YouTube, all at Graphic Policy, keeping it nice and consistent. As always, thank you for listening. We appreciate it. And until next time, I'm Brett. I'm Ilana. Keep it geeky. <laughs>